Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. So good to see you once again, church. We're in Daniel chapter 8, studying verse by verse, line by line, the book of Daniel. This is your first time among us. We like to take a book from the Bible and study word for word. And so what I love about Scripture is it's a picture. As we allow Scripture to define Scripture. The Bible is self-interpreting, which means only as you're comparing Scripture to Scripture, you get the whole picture. So as you go to Daniel chapter 8, also go to 2 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians, and then we're going to be in the book of Revelation as well before this day is over. Now, we're doing so much in the book of Daniel, we can't do it all on Sunday morning. So, Daniel chapter 8, actually two of the three messages that I prepared, we did in a studio, and you can watch those online on your own time. We'll be dropping another Daniel 8 video tomorrow, very important video. One of the questions I get all the time is we study biblical prophecy. That's what we're doing in the book of Daniel now. We're studying a passage of scripture that's full a prophecy about the time of the end. One of the number one questions I get is about the rapture. Pastor Phil, when will the rapture happen? The next significant event on God's timeline of prophetic events is something we call the rapture of the church, where Jesus comes for his bride. Now, there's at least three views. It's kind of an in-house debate. Theologically, is it a pre-tribulational rapture, meaning Jesus comes for the bride before the seven-year tribulation? Is it mid-trib, meaning midway through the tribulation, or is it post-trib, meaning at the end of the seven-year tribulation? Now, we're going to do a lesson you can download tomorrow and listen. I'm going to give you five biblical reasons why I'm still convinced after all these years of studying this over and over again that it is a pre-tribulational rapture, meaning Jesus comes before the seven-year tribulation. Five biblical reasons why. It is described for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul wrote this, the day is coming that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be forevermore with the Lord. He said, therefore, comfort one another with these words. There is coming a day that Jesus is coming for the bride, which is the church, you and I. Think about this. There is a generation of Christians that are going to be alive when Jesus comes for his bride that will never feel the sting of death. How many of you think tomorrow morning would be a really good time for that to happen? Yes? Yeah, I do too. I tell you that because I remember being a little kid growing up in Sunday school in the 1970s, and you know, there's a lot of talk then about the rapture, and you didn't want to be left behind. And uh, at the time, they were making a lot of movies about the rapture, and the worst thing that could happen is you get left behind. And there was, you know, these movies, A Distant Thunder, and you know, there was a lot of kids my age that got scared into heaven because they didn't want to go to hell. And worst thing, getting left behind, right? And uh, I remember at the time thinking, well man, I'd like for Jesus to come, just not right now, because I got a whole life I want to live. I got things I want to do. And the idea of Jesus returning sounded like a good idea sometime, but just not right now, because I had things on my list to do. I wanted to live my whole life. I had a lot of things I wanted to do. And that may be you. I know a lot of young people feel the same way. Like, I don't want Jesus to come in my lifetime. I got things I want to do. All I can say, if you're young and you're not really wanting Jesus to come because you want to live your whole life, is you'll get over it. (laughs) Give yourself about 30 years, you'll get over it. It's like, Jesus, anytime you want to come, we'll be just fine. Amen? Listen, when you look at the condition of our world, it's easy to be discouraged, if not completely depressed. But you know what Jesus said in John 14? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
And you know, the book of Daniel gives us a prophecy of those last days shortly before the second coming. Daniel chapter 8 actually is a prophecy of three kings, three political leaders, two of which have come and gone in history, one of which yet remains. Now, if you've listened to the first lesson I did that is online on our sermon page, you know that the first two kings was Daniel, that Daniel saw, was Alexander the Great, and then Antiochus Epiphanes. Both of these were kings that God told Daniel would come. Now think about this. You probably heard of Alexander the Great, very, very famous first king and conqueror of the Grecian Empire. God gives Daniel this vision 200 years before Alexander would even be born. Yet 200 years ahead of time, Daniel prophesies the coming of Alexander the Great. He's well known in history. Lesser known in history, but no less significant, is another Grecian king known as Antiochus Epiphanes. And both these men historically were prophetically foreshadowing another king that would one day come, the one the Bible describes as the Antichrist. And that is what we're going to talk about today out of Daniel chapter 8. It seemed like a novel idea. It was October the 24th, 1945, when the UN was chartered for the very first time. And it seemed like such a marvelous idea when the nations of the world came together and chartered the United Nations. They dreamed of ending war forever. That was the dream of the UN, chartered October the 24th, 1945. Think about what had just happened. The world had been completely torn apart by war. And so the nations of the earth and the heads of state came together and they said, together we will never let it happen again. And the United Nations was then born, and they dreamed a great dream of the earth's golden age where we give up this national sovereignty and this division of mankind based on nations and borders, and suddenly there's a global community, and the nations are living in global unity, and it's shared prosperity and mutual generosity in this great global community that ends the competition among nations, and suddenly there's just this great joy and glory global prosperity for everybody, and, and, and they even believed, they were so certain that they could usher in this kind of world that they actually had the words of Isaiah chapter 2 permanently carved into the walls of the UN building in New York City. You can go there today and you can see this for yourself. They permanently carved Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, into the walls of the UN building. It says this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You see, that was the vision of the UN. And it was Isaiah, the Hebrew prophet, that saw this future kingdom, this future world, where truly the nations no longer lift up sword one against another. You see, I want you to understand the dream of the UN founders was the right dream. The problem is that the kingdoms of men can never usher in the promises of God. Which is why all these years later, after the UN was chartered, it doesn't look like we're any closer to the world having a world without war. Because the kingdom of men cannot usher in the promises of God. You see, this is a promise of God. It has always been the plan for man since he created Adam, put him in a garden, and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You see, the plan of God, the plan for man, has always been an earthly kingdom, a global community community when the nations are united under God's authority in unity, peace, and prosperity. You see, that is ultimately the right dream. That is what is the millennial kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, there's coming a day, the kingdom of heaven will come, and the kingdom of heaven will unite the nations into a global community under God's governance and God's authority, a theocracy, but you understand over and over again, the kingdom of men have tried to usher in the promises of God. And it was this promise the Hebrew prophets saw over and over again as they foretold one day, the promised one, the Messiah would come, God's son, he'd be a savior king that would usher in the kingdom of heaven. So they'd be one and the same with the kingdoms of this world. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is just such a promise. It says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and his government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and of the increase of his government, 
government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is upon us. You see, he was promising one day a savior king would come and reverse the curse of sin and usher in that kingdom that God has always envisioned. I want you to see it's the right dream. The problem is we can never ever execute the promises of God by putting hope in the kingdom of men. Yet over and over again, that's exactly what has happened. You see, we live in a world at war. We live in creation that is at war with itself, that is cursed by sin. Two kingdoms are colliding, and that is what the book of Daniel is about. It's a book about kings and kingdoms. There is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and at this very moment, you're a member of one of those two kings. You're a member of one of those two kingdoms, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of men, which are the kingdoms of Satan. Never ever forget that Satan's desire has always been, from the moment of his insurrection, to sit on the throne of God, to be worshiped as God, and establish his kingdom instead of God. Did you know the very first summit of the United Nations was actually not October 1945? It was actually 2300 years B.C., when a certain king known as Nimrod said to the nations, come, let us build a city and a tower that will reach into heaven. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11. And this certain king by the name of Nimrod, his name means Lord of Rebellion, was not trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven. He was really seeking man's deification. And it was the very same words that another Nimrod, the real Nimrod, the Lord of Rebellion, said almost exactly the same thing, recorded Isaiah 14, verse 13, when Satan said, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Do you understand the first summit of the United Nations recorded in Genesis chapter 11 was an insurrection and rebellion against the kingdom of heaven led by a man whose name means Lord of Rebellion. By the way, that's why of all all the great Bible names, little boys can be named. I don't know if anybody's named their little baby boy Nimrod. It literally means rebel, you little rebel. Now some of you may think that when you look at your little boy at times, right? But nobody actually names him that because it's a name that means rebel. And ultimately what we've seen in world history is what one Nimrod after another, after another, after another attempt to conquer the world, to usher in a earthly kingdom. And over and over again, one would-be world conqueror attempts over and over again, and every single time they do, it ends in disaster and it ends in destruction because the kingdom of men cannot usher in the promises of God. And I want you to see, Daniel chapter eight describes this world leader that is yet to come. One last time, one more Nimrod, one more rebel who will attempt to unite the nations to usher in a world kingdom. And that is what Daniel chapter eight is about. The Antichrist who will reign as Satan's counterfeit king over an earthly kingdom shortly before the second coming of Christ. There is going to be a new world order. And at this very moment, you are in one of those two world orders. You're either in the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of men, which is the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of Satan, which always ends in disaster and ultimately destruction. That is the theme of the book of Daniel. Now, I say that to, listen, a lot of people think, well, when we talk about this new world order, I mean, the only people that actually talk about a new world order, I've kind of heard this, is, you know, these these far right-wing conspiracy theorists, weirdo, Bible thumper types. But I want you to know, when I use this term, new world order, I'm using the term that even secular people are using. Non-Bible believing people are anticipating a new world order where the nations are finally united. What is the stated vision of the United Nations? It is to unite the nations. And there's coming a time that Daniel says is going to happen, I'm convinced even maybe in our lifetimes. The platform is being positioned currently on the world stage for just such a fulfillment of this very prophecy. Now understand, this phrase, New World Order, is not just used by Bible thumpers and Bible believers and prophecy scholars. We're talking 
even secular people. It was actually used the first time that I'm aware of by a U.S. president in 1989, the first George Bush, George H.W. Bush, right before Allied forces led by the U.S. went into Kuwait to drive out Saddam Hussein. He referred to a new world order. The next presidential administration, Bill Clinton, also referred to a new world order. These aren't necessarily Bible-believing prophecy scholars referring to a new world order. These are secular people that understand there's something changing geopolitically on the world scene. They are fulfilling Bible prophecy yet unwittingly uh, during the Obama administration. It was actually the defense secretary himself, Chuck Hagel, that referred to this new world order and is described in Daniel chapter 8. Look at what it says in verse 16. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Gabriel is an angel of God. He is one of the heavenly hosts. He's a very powerful messenger angel. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. See, God is telling Daniel, what you've seen is not for here, and it's not for now. It's for the time of the end. Look at what it says. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. This is what Chuck Hagel said as former defense secretary about the world that we're now witnessing. The world is experiencing historic defining times that will result in a new world order. This is a time of global transformation. We're essentially seeing a new world order evolving and being built. I don't think we've seen such a time since right after World War II. And I want you to understand, this is not necessarily a Bible-believing man. He is certainly not on the far right wing of conspiracy theories and QAnon crazies. He's simply saying, on the world scene, things are changing. And I want you to see what I think is amazing, even unbelieving men and women that don't believe the Bible unwittingly are fulfilling the Bible, unwittingly fulfilling biblical prophecy. It's happened over and over again historically, and it's happening presently in the 21st century as God is using people who certainly don't even believe the Bible themselves are obeying the Bible. And this is over and over again what we're seeing. This is the term that people are now saying, and Daniel saw this 500 years B.C., 2,500 years ago, God showed him what was going to be happening on the world scene. I want you to see several things today about this coming world ruler, this king that Daniel sees about the time of the end that will reign in some way over this new world order. First of all, he will deceive many. This is an age of deception. It is an age of distortion. If you're not hanging tightly to God's written revelation, you will be easily deceived by what you see. And he will rise on the world scene through deception, through distortion. Look at what it says in verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understand sinister schemes. Verse 25. And through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He's speaking here of this political leader that is still yet future. Now, a lot of people think, well, Pastor Phil, the Antichrist, I mean, that's just allegorical. The Antichrist is just a symbol of evil. That's what a lot of people think. But I want to remind you about something. This prophecy we're studying in Daniel chapter 8 is about three world rulers, three world kings, two of which have come and gone, one of which is yet future. The first was Alexander the Great. He was a literal historical figure. Alexander the Great, of which movies have been made about, documentaries have been made about him. Now, let me ask you, class, was Alexander allegorical or was he literal? He was literal. Now, the second world ruler Daniel prophesied was Antiochus Epiphanes. He's lesser known, but no less significant. He unleashed a brutal, bloody holocaust on the Jews while reigning over Israel in 167 B.C. He's a real man in history. Now, if the first two kings were literal men, what are the chances of this last king to be allegorical? 
You see, the reality is God's trying to teach us about the one that hasn't come, that we have not seen, by the ones that have come, the first two that we know in history. These were kings literally. I would suggest that if the first two kings were literal, not allegorical, we might take God seriously and literally, not allegorically, when he talks about this last king, the third king. I like my odds. People ask sometimes, Phil, how do you know for sure Jesus is coming again? I mean, can you be so certain? Let me tell you why I can be so certain. Because prophecy after prophecy was made about the Messiah related to his first coming. We can prove historically that Jesus fulfilled all of them literally. What do you think that says about the prophecies that remain related to his second coming? I like my odds. That's all I'm saying. You see, we can look behind us and see all these prophecies fulfilled literally. I like my odds for the ones that remain related for his second coming. There's a third king that is yet to come. He's one known as the Antichrist, a world leader that will unite the nations in a new world order. He'll do it, first of all, through deception, by deceiving. Now, the question is, what would cause the nations to sacrifice autonomy and sovereignty to unite globally? What would be the cause that would cause the nations to sacrifice some level of sovereignty and autonomy to come together in this global community under this global governance? I'll tell you what it would be. Listen carefully. The promise of financial stability, shared prosperity, peace, and security. And I would suggest to you, church, that we're about one global crisis away. I've said before, in the outset of COVID, COVID is a significant event and a series of significant events that will ultimately lead to the main event. It is setting the table, the props and the players in many kind of ways. By the way, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, not just plague, but plagues, plural, pandemics, plural. Now, what is currently happening because of the last two years of this global crisis I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. Listen carefully, church. We are studying biblical prophecy, not Jesus because like, whoa, whoa, that's deep, man, ooh. Whoa. We study biblical prophecy because it ought to change us and transform us to live with urgency for the things of eternity. That's why I study biblical prophecy. And you cannot be effective for God in a world you don't understand. A lot of people are going, what in the world is going on? They don't understand. But in the pages of Scripture, you have a spiritual lens through which you can examine current events. All of a sudden, you understand the world that is so that you can be effective as you serve God and advance the kingdom and bring glory to the king. That's why we're studying prophecy. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. Think about what's happened because of the last two years, this global pandemic, the world economy is fragile as fine China. Historically, why do nations follow a dictator and consolidate power in the hands of just a few? Historically, look behind us. You can't understand the future if you don't know anything about the past. You cannot understand prophecy if you don't know anything about history. And historically, dictators seize power in economic chaos and cataclysm. When people are hungry and they're in poverty and they can't feed their families, they are desperate for anybody who seems to have the answers. I give you the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. I give you Mao Zedong, the People's Revolution in the 20th century. I, I give you Adolf Hitler, the German Mark was so completely devalued, it took a million German marks to buy a single loaf of bread. Now what is happening currently because of the last two years? Global recession. A world economy fragile as fine China. Did you know that there's currently one economy in the world that holds up every other economy? The United States. Did you know there is one world currency in the world that is directly related to all the other nation's currencies, and if this currency is devalued and eventually is worth nothing, then every other currency goes down with it. I'm talking about the U.S. dollar. 
Did you know that our national debt has doubled in a decade? We're over $30 trillion in debt. And that is something no political leader is talking about from either party. $30 trillion in debt. It has doubled in a decade. What does that say about the next decade? There is a payday someday. Did you know that we have printed six trillion US dollars in the last two years and that when you print monopoly money, because that's what it is, when you print six trillion dollars, you devalue the currency and that is what gives way to hyperinflation. We're currently at 8.6%. Do you understand that's exactly what is personified by the black horse rider in Revelation chapter six, economic recession, global economic cataclysm, and do you understand we're about one global crisis away? I'm not trying to scare you, trying to prepare you. I want you to see how we're watching the world platform being positioned for fulfillment of biblical prophecy. There is a reset coming, and that's not my words, that's the words others are using that don't believe the Bible. How will this happen? It's through global economic cataclysm, of which we're about a hair's breadth away, to the complete economic system melting down, and a reset is about to happen. Klaus Schwab is the German engineer and billionaire businessman that founded the World Economic Forum in 1971. They have met in Davos, Switzerland every year since 1971. It is a forum of world billionaires and corporate 500 CEOs. We're talking about a forum of business leaders, government leaders, heads of state, leaders in every single industry, and they meet in Davos, Switzerland every single year, and they have since 1971, and the stated vision of the World Economic Forum is to unite the nations into a one-world global economic system. Two years ago during COVID, 2020, the theme of the forum was Reset. What he said at the time was this, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. He since re uh, wrote a book and released it recently entitled, COVID-19, The Great Reset. He wrote this in his book, the more nationalism and isolationism pervade the global polity, the greater the chance that global governance loses its relevance and becomes ineffective. Sadly, we are now at this critical juncture. Put bluntly, we live in a world in which nobody is really in charge. You see what he's advocating for is somebody needs to be in charge of the world. The world needs to be under a global governance where somebody is in charge of all the nations so that finally we can get all the nations to play together in the same sandbox. That's what he's advocating for. And this is what he wrote recently in his book. COVID-19 reminds us that the biggest problems we face are global in nature whose risk can only be mitigated in a collective fashion. I want you to notice this isn't conspiracy. This is not being done in secrecy. This is biblical prophecy. And a man like Klaus Schwab that doesn't even believe the Bible, he is what we call an unbeliever. He himself is obeying the Bible. He himself is helping usher in the fulfillment of this biblical prophecy. Now here's the reality. Again, it's not the wrong dream. It's not the wrong vision. I think it would be great for the nations of the world to come together in cooperation, finally, to address global problems. Who wouldn't be for that? The problem, again, is historically, you wanna learn about the future, just look into the past. The best predictor of the future is always the past. Anytime power is consolidated in the hands of a few, it never ends well for the rest. It never ends well for the rest. The kingdom of men cannot usher in the promises of God. And since this forum in, in, in Davos, Switzerland, 2020, heads of state all over the world, national leaders are using this term, the reset. 
In fact, what they're saying is COVID has given us a chance to accelerate this vision of globalism. It's happening. Revelation 13 tells us the world will one day be united economically, politically, and even religiously into a global community under the Antichrist authority. Now, John, in the book of Revelation, what's he doing? He's using the limits of first century language to describe things he's seeing for which words have not yet been invented. What he terms is the mark of the beast, the infamous mark of the beast. Now get everything out of your mind's eye that you've ever imagined about the mark of the beast or the Antichrist, all right? Just get it all out of your mind's eye because I promise it's not going to look anything like most of us thought it would when we watch the movies and in pop culture about the Antichrist, whoever he is, he's not going to have 666 tattooed on his forehead. He's not. He's not going to be scary. A lot of us picture the Antichrist as being mean and scary. I mean, like a you know, devil with horns and a pitchfork. and I'm telling you, I missed my calling. I should have been in movies. <laughs> I'd have been a good bad guy. Good bad guy. No, that's not who he is at all. He's a man. Nobody's going to think to themselves, oh, that's the Antichrist. I know who he is. No, he comes to power through deception. In fact, Revelation 6, he's riding on a white horse. Historically in ancient days, only a conquering general, a king, rode on a white horse. But in this case, this king in Revelation 6 has a bow but no arrows. He comes to power without firing a shot. He comes to power under the banner of peace. He brokers a peace deal, Daniel 9.27, what we're talking about next week, peace in the Middle East. He does what no man before him has ever done. He's brought the Arabs and the Israelites together in a peace covenant. That begins that seven-year countdown toward Armageddon, the signing of that peace treaty. He becomes a household name, a political leader that appears to have all the answers to the world's problems. But it's a false peace. It's a deception. Somewhere along the way, he introduces what is called the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? Don't think for a moment that it's people thinking to themselves, oh, I'm going to take this mark and sell my soul to the devil. Uh Uh-uh. They're going to be deceived. And it's going to make perfect sense. In a world that is increasingly scary, full of insecurity, It's going to make perfect sense. Remember, John is describing things for which words haven't been invented. But the technology he describes is only recently here in the 21st century. Meet Johan Osterland. He's Swedish. He's the founder of a Swedish company called Biohacks. Biohacks manufactures microchips, not for cars, but for people. And in the last two years, thousands and thousands of Swedes have in fact been fitted with this chip right here on their right hand, just above their right thumb. Now, this is not the mark of the beast, but it's the technology described in Revelation chapter 13. Why are so many Swedes and other Europeans taking this microchip in their right hand? Not because they think, oh, this is the precursor of the mark of the beast. Yeah, of course I'll do that. No, because it makes perfect sense. Imagine having your entire banking system on your hand. You can never, ever lose your credit card. It can never be stolen. You can never, ever lose your debit card. It can never be hacked. Your entire ability to bank is right there in your hand with nothing more than a wave of the hand. Not only that, all of your personal ID can never be lost or stolen. Your social security card is now in your hand. It can't be hacked. Did you know that right now there is somebody out there who's hacked my Facebook account and they're pretending to be me? Listen, if I ever, ever direct message you, you know right away it's not Pastor Phil. And I will promise I will never ask you to donate to some orphanage in Africa over social media. Not me, counterfeit. Now imagine, with this chip in your hand, your ID can never be stolen, can never be hacked. Not not only that, but your COVID vaccine, proof 
is now in your hand. That's where it began in Sweden. All of your medical ID, not only that, your children can never be lost or stolen. It's got GPS on it. Do you understand the technology is already here? You don't have it in your hand, but you carry it in your pocket or your purse every single day. It's called your smartphone, and it's tracking your every movement. It keeps track of everywhere you've been, because according to Revelation 13, they're going to begin worshiping this man as a deity, and if they don't, you'll be considered an enemy of the state, and they will know you weren't there to worship at the given time and place, and they will know exactly where to go to find you and arrest you. Listen, this sounds like science fiction, 20th century science fiction authors wrote about this. 1932, Aldous Huxley, A Brave New World. 1949, the novel, 1984. At the time, it was science fiction. But I'm trying to tell you today, this is not science fiction. This is real science. Fiction writers of the 20th century wrote about it. It's no longer fiction. This is nonfiction. It's really happening. It's here. And one major global crisis, another pandemic, global cataclysm, economic Armageddon, is the very thing it will take for the nations of the world to hit the reset. And it's going to make a lot of sense. Think about this. With this chip, your teenager can never lie to you about where they've been again. Two o'clock in the morning, Mom, I'm serious. I was at youth group. We were having a Bible study. No, you weren't. I know where you were. Pets have been fitted with this for years. Now people are too. And I want you to see that these ancient Hebrew prophets and the New Testament apostles saw it coming centuries ago. And only now it's here in the 21st century. Klaus Schaub wrote in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, about this very technology that I've told you about, we will see how contact tracing has an unequal capacity and a quasi-essential place in the armory needed to combat COVID-19. What is contact tracing? Your phones talk to each other. Your phone knows who you've been near. Contact tracing, your phone now knows who you've been in contact with. So if they had COVID, now your phone tells your phone they had COVID and somebody knows that now you might have contracted COVID. Now look, look what he says about the rest of it. While at the same time being positioned to become an enabler of mass surveillance. Do you understand if you lived in North Korea, this is already happening? If you lived in China as a, as a Chinese citizen, this is already happening? The government tracking the movements of masses of people using this very technology? It's already here, this isn't pretend. This is prophecy, and we're watching it unfold in our lifetimes. Now, number two is this. He'll claim to be deity. He'll deceive many. He'll claim to be deity. Verse 25, through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, the Lord Jesus Christ, but he shall be broken without human means. The apostle Paul saw this very thing. He wrote to the Thessalonians, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day the second coming of Christ will not come unless the falling away comes first. This word is apostia. It means apostasy. We're watching today the apostate church emerging in our day. And look what happens next. He says, and then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It's what Jesus called in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. When you see this man go into the rebuilt Jewish temple, sit on the throne of God, and proclaim himself to be God, Jesus said in Matthew 24, you better get out of town. You better get out of Jerusalem. You better head to the mountains, because he said a holocaust is about to happen 
that the world has never seen before and it will never ever see again. What you have midway through the tribulation, Daniel 9, 27, he breaks the peace treaty with the Jews. He causes the sacrifices to cease. He declares himself God, Revelation chapter 13. He suffers a mortal head wound. And in front of a watching world, it appears he's now resurrected from the dead. He counterfeits the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the very same reason, we worship Jesus, not because he died, but because he resurrected alive. The world is going to watch what they believe is a man resurrect from the dead, and they will declare him deity. Revelation 13, and they worship the beast and said, who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? He will prove he is deity by performing supernatural miracles, lying signs, and wonders. The apostle Paul wrote these words, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He'll be able to do miracles because guess who else can do those besides God? Satan can do those too. I've told you over and over again, church, listen carefully, you will be easily deceived in these days of deception if you are not deeply tied to God's written revelation. If you're not tied deeply to what God has said, you'll be easily deceived by what you see. And masses of humanity will be deceived. And they will declare this man a deity. Number three, he'll destroy with tyranny. He comes to power promising peace, security, financial stability, prosperity for everybody. But there's a third horse in Revelation chapter 6. It's the red horse where he begins in prosperity, peace, security. He begins to rule with cruelty and tyranny. In Daniel chapter eight, God gives us two men from the past to learn about the future. He will rise to power with the speed of Alexander the Great, and he will reign with the cruelty of Antiochus Epiphanes, verse 24. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive and shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. There will be millions come to faith in the true and living Christ during the tribulation. There will be millions all over the world beginning in Revelation 7. It says for the 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe, revival is gonna break out in Israel among the Jews and they will take the gospel to the nations, Revelation 7, every tongue, tribe, people, nation. Millions will follow the true and living Christ, rejecting the mark of the beast, rejecting the Antichrist, and they will pay a high price. Considered enemies of this global community. And they will suffer deeply because a true follower of Jesus Christ would rather die for the truth than live for a lie. I'll say that again, a true follower of Jesus Christ would rather die for the truth than live for a lie. And they will pay a high price for a short season. Satan will have what he's always wanted, to sit on the throne of God, be worshiped as God over an earthly kingdom and he will unleash a holocaust on anyone that does not follow. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He rises to power, promising peace, security, but then subdues the nations through tyranny and brutality. Revelation 6, 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. It was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Now, do you want some good news and all the bad news? There's coming a day. He's going to be deposed quickly. God's going to look at me and go, you lose. Like every other Nimrod before you, it is not going to end well for him either. Jesus is going to come again and depose this counterfeit king and take his rightful place on a throne for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign. And you can read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verse 25. 
Daniel 8, 25, he shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. No man has the power to destroy him because he is empowered by Satan. So only God alone is able and God will come and do what no one else had any chance to do. At his second coming, the Lord Jesus Christ will depose and destroy the Antichrist. The apostle Paul saw this too. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse say, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. At a second coming, Jesus will simply open his mouth. <laughs> Revelation 19, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him is called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war, and out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword, that with it he shall strike the nations, beginning with this counterfeit king. And he's going to rule and reign forever. This is how this vision ends, verse 26. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. God tells Daniel, Daniel, it's not for your day. Seal this up. It's going to be open and revealed in the last days. Look what happens. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. You look at the condition of our world, do you ever want to just be sick for days? Man, it makes me sick. Daniel was just sick with what he saw. I mean, he has just seen a nightmare. This thing is an absolute nightmare. But he realizes this is more than a dream. It's not make-believe. He says, I was sick for days. I fainted. You look at the condition of our world, you just want to faint. Some days, not even get out of bed. That was Daniel. Didn't get out of bed. He was so sick with what God had showed him. But look what it says. Afterward, I arose. Let me say it again. Afterward, I arose. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. He served a king by the name of Darius. You and I serve a king by the name of Jesus. And now is not the time just to pull the electric blanket over our heads and wait for Jesus to come and save us. It is time for the body of Christ to arise. There needs to be a rising of the remnant. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to stand up, to get up, and get serious about the king's business because the king is coming. And I can live fearless, and you can too, because very, very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. And when you really believe that, you can live fearlessly. doesn't matter what happens to me. It's only temporary. And I'm trying to tell you today is the day to do as Daniel. Yeah, get sick about what you see. But don't stay down, get up. It's time to arise. We must be about the king's business to advance the kingdom and prepare to see the king. And right now, at this very moment, you are part of one of two world orders. You're either about the new world order, the one that is yet to come, the kingdom of men that will end in destruction, or you are a part of the kingdom of God. And if you are a part of the kingdom of God, then it's time to take Matthew 6, 33 seriously. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. Seek first the kingdom of God. And you can see these two worldviews and these world orders colliding, and they are even now widening. You could see it recently with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. The gates of hell are enraged, enraged. And I'm telling you today, if you're part of God's kingdom, this is an age of complexity in the 21st century, but this one, this one is easy. It really, really is. God is very clear about this one. The right to life ought to usurp every other right. It's in the Bible. And it's also in our Constitution, our founding documents. The right to life usurps every other right. Yet I could see it. I put out a little post on my social media and the hostility and the hatred and the animosity and the vulgarity. I mean, seriously. Now, here's the reality. I expect that from ungodly people. Ungodly people believe ungodly things. Unsaved people will do unsaved things. But what amazed me are people who claim to be Christians. Which kingdom are you in? 
And unless you're thinking politically or purely emotionally, there is no other position as a Christian but to be pro-life from conception in the womb. That's the only position. It's not a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is a biblical issue. It's not about right or left. It's about up or down. Which kingdom are you in? This one ought to be easy. What do women give birth to? They don't give birth to aardvarks. The reality is if they were giving birth to sea turtles, they would have had more protection in the last 50 years than humans. Now you can hate me for saying that, but I don't hate you. You can be mad at me, but I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the truth. And as a member of the kingdom of God, I'm gonna fall on the side of God every single time. Whatever the cost. You're gonna have a lot of people hating on you when you stand for truth. I got people that hate on me. Let me just be upfront and honest with you. I have an ancient Hebrew idiom just to tell you how I feel when people hate on me. Habalaba, I don't care. <laughs> We're gonna see Jesus very soon and he's the only one in the end that's gonna matter. He's the only one. You're gonna stand before him one day soon. We're all going to see him. Now listen, we should celebrate versal Roe v. Wade. There have been times where our nation's history, legislation had to be done and drawn to make wrongs right. But let's be honest, it's not revival. That's not a mark of revival. What we need is revival in our civilization, a move of God indescribable. We're gonna be having a weekend of revival coming up in August. I want you to do this right now. Text REVIVAL to this number, 68618. We're gonna have 40 days of prayer to prepare for this weekend. Starting July the 11th, if you'll text this, you're gonna get a prayer prompt every single day. So together as a church family, we're gonna pray in exactly the same way, preparing our hearts for that weekend. That's what we need. We need a move of God. We need a move of the Spirit of God upon the people of God to do as Daniel. Yeah, I'll be sick about what is, but we're gonna get up, we're gonna rise up. That's what revival is. Jesus, I pray for revival. God in heaven, we're desperate for it. We are all desperate, we're so desperate to see a move of the Spirit of God upon the people of God God, would you send Holy Spirit revival as we can see biblical prophecy as we live in these historic times that are changing. God, that we would live to see a remnant rising of Holy Spirit heaven-filled, sold out, surrendered men and women an end times army where the love of God penetrates the darkness of our world and together we pray it in the powerful precious name of Jesus and everybody said amen would you give Jesus the glory with me praise him would you Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.